Okay, 2023 is almost over, and I know many of you are busy crafting your New Year's resolutions for 2024. But tell me if this sounds familiar to you. You come out on January 1st gung-ho about reaching your goals, but within a matter of weeks or even days, you've already faltered and are ready to ditch your resolutions. Don't let that happen to you again this year. I have an early Christmas gift for you that will help you keep those resolutions. It's my Level Up Cheat Sheet. My Level Up Cheat Sheet will give you the mindset tools you need to achieve your goals and live your dream life. Drawn from several best-selling personal development books, I've taken out all the fluff and distilled it down to just the most important points you need to know to stay on course. Remember, a goal without a plan is just a wish. So become a goal-crushing machine in 2024 with my Level Up Cheat Sheet. It's free at levelupcheatsheet.com. That's levelupcheatsheet.com. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Liberty Alliance Network's What Can We Do? I am Haley Heathman, and today I'm excited to be joined by Dan Cook. Um, Dan could be considered one of America's re-founding fathers. Um, He was elected to the Continental Congress in 2009 as a Florida delegate, where he contributed to the writing of the Articles of Freedom. Uh, In 2020, he led the resistance against the lockdowns and mask mandates in Collier County, Florida. And today, he is the vice chairman of the Collier County Republican Party and is the Freedom Ambassador of Seed to Table. Dan, welcome to the show. Haley, thanks very much for having me. Yeah. So um, I want to, I, I, you've obviously, um, you've got a lot of uh, accolades or accomplishments. Um, you actually look fairly young too. So uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah. For, for, for somebody who's got, you know, done, been at this for a little while, um, you know, so why don't you walk us through, I want to hear a little bit about your background because it's unlike a lot of people and there's nothing wrong with this, but you know, a lot of people is like COVID is what woke them up, you know, whereas obviously you've been at this for quite some time and e- you were even younger then. So tell me a bit about your background and how you got involved in all this Liberty stuff. Yeah, sure, sure. Just one one quick note before I share some of my background with you. You said, and I appreciate that you saying that I look young because I'm uh, I, I'm about to be 42 soon, and sometimes I feel, um, you know, I feel the age getting up there. But did you know that a lot of our founding fathers they were actually in their like 20s and their 30s when the I, Revolutionary War I happened? I think I think I um I did it in a, in a in a background way. I knew that they were young because everybody was younger. Because I remember reading something about like how. Oh, like the the Civil War or something like like a 12 year old is captaining the ship and everything. I was like, what are our 12 year olds doing these days? Are you kidding me? But yeah. So anyway, go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. So so that 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 information has come across my mind here recently, and it's actually given me a little bit different perspective on um, what we're doing, you know, because maybe it's fair to say that the younger generation historically hasn't been involved in politics and civics and government as much as the older generations. So I think it's uh, just interesting how that's the truth now in our society. Whereas 250 years ago, the truth was the young people were like, we're not putting up with this anymore and get and getting involved. So um, uh, let me, I guess, uh, share, share why I'm here in Naples, how I got here. So I was, 
Um, I'm a Mayflower descendant of two parents who were born and raised in Connecticut. So uh, I was also born up in Jacksonville, Florida. So I like to consider myself a Yankee born in the South, but um, I have two younger siblings and we grew up in Jacksonville, Florida. I moved here to Naples in 2007. Um, family kind of went their different ways and, and I came down here to Naples and I got involved in politics actually immediately when I moved here. I le- heard about a guy named Ron Paul who was running for president. So literally the first few weeks that I was here, I was driving down 41 and saw Ron Paul sign waving. So I pulled over and uh, joined the group, picked up a sign and started making uh, politics and government my part-time hobby. Yeah. So how, how old were you approximately at that time? 27 when I moved here. Okay. Yeah. And you know, was that his 2008 um, uh, presidential run? Yep. Yeah, Yeah, it was. So I was a little bit late to the party. I only got involved and kind of had my libertarian conversion moment. I think it was about 2010. So I missed his 2008 run, but I was a full on supporter for the 2012 run and everything like that. And what was always funny was, again, talking about the young people not being as engaged, but Ron Paul, who was the oldest candidate in the race, had by far the youngest base of support amongst any of the candidates. He, All the young people loved him, and he would go to the college campuses, and they were people like filling up the stadiums and everything for this old man talking about the Federal Reserve. Um, But they were eating it up. I mean, and and we're still trying to kind of recreate that buzz and that fervor, the Ron Paul revolution as it was. Um, But yeah, were you involved in his candidacies or anything like that? Intricately, definitely. I ended up, um, I think I met him about three or four times in that time frame from 2008. I I remember I, I went to his website and got them to send me the little door hangers for his campaign and I didn't know anything about how you're supposed to do this. I just grabbed them and just started knocking on every single door in you know the neighborhoods around me, and um, had you know good experience doing doing that. And then I learned all right, there's actually an organization um, that that does this a little bit more um, succinctly. So at the end of his campaign, he advised all of his you know uh, the people involved in his campaign to join their local Republican Party. I remember there was a big um, debate amongst the Ron Paul people, I guess, if you will. Are we going to try to continue to reform the Republican Party? Or are we going to go third party in the, with the Libertarian uh, Party? And it was um, so. So at the end of at the end of the day, I guess Ron Paul advised people to get involved. In the there Republican still Party. is a debate in that with the within the Libertarian Party. <laughs> yeah. So well, it's still let's, unsettled. Let's what, yeah, let's see what happens here at the convention uh, this this year. I think that. That debate probably will always go on until the Republican Party is actually reformed, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, look, I, I support the LP kind of in general. I've never been a member, but, um, you know, generally speaking, um, and as much as they can move the ball, and I like what they did with the Mises Caucus and everything, um, but I just think our best chance is still where's the power structure? The power structure is within the Republican party. That's where you're going to be able to get things done. Um, yeah. So, I mean, our best by far congressmen and, and, uh, representatives are Thomas Massey and Rand Paul. 
um, and they were both Republicans. So that's it. So when you uh, were doing the Ron Paul, so his campaign, his first one ended in 2008. And so you're talking about um, in 2009, this Continental Congress, were you, are you just self-studied? Did you have a background in this or did you just learn this on your own or tell me a bit about that? Yeah, pretty, pretty much self-studied. So in 2008, I was a part of the Ron Paul campaign, learning about the Republican Party, kind of like getting my feet wet in, in politics. And then something called the Tea Party movement uh, really took off around the country. And so what that what that meant was T stand for taxed enough already. So it was mainly a group of conservatives who were pissed off about taxes being too high. Uh, a lot of them were kind of triggered and set off by Obamacare and the takeover of the health care uh, industry as well. And so there's this movement nationwide where people would just like go to the street corners basically with signs and flags and express their uh, outrage against the government, express their uh, grievances, if you will, about you know what's going on. Um, and so within within that movement, I started just talking to more people, learn more, learn I guess more and more about different organizations who were doing things to teach people about liberty, to get involved with government, to try to you know hold them accountable. And one group I found was called We the People uh, Congress or We the People Foundation, and they had set up a nationwide petition process where they were serving these petitions onto members of Congress over violations of the Constitution, such as um, having an open border, such as having a Federal Reserve money system that is not constitutional, such as having the executive branch uh, send troops to war without a formal declaration of war from Congress. And there's a, a list of about 10 different things that that each petition included. And so there's this coordinated effort to serve these petitions on all members of Congress. There's no way for me to really know, you know, what percentage of Congress actually got served, but it was a, it was an, there was an effort where I think, you know, there's fairly, fairly high amount of our congressmen who got served these petitions and none of them answered them. So as a result, the leaders of this We the People Foundation said, well, well what can we do about it? And they said, well, why don't we look at history? The founding fathers uh, essentially did the same thing in 1774 when uh, King George III dissolved the Massachusetts uh, legislature in, in the colonies. They said, let's have our own Continental Congress. Let's have our own. I don't know what they called it then at the time, but they said, we need to have our own Congress. And so we emulated um, history uh, from 1774 and just redid that in 2009 with, with an election that was held on October 10th, uh, 2009 of citizen delegates to sit in as an actual Continental Congress. And that's where we drafted that document, the Articles of Freedom. Right. Yeah. You said that's it. And it was pretty in-depth and lengthy. Um, I actually, I, <laughs> I didn't get a chance to read it all uh, before our interview today because at first it said it was only two pages. I was like, oh, okay. And then I was all of a sudden, I was like, no, no, this is more than two. It was like 63 pages. So I was like, okay. Um, yeah. So, so you drafted this Articles of Freedom and then what happened after that? Was this Did it have an impact or what kind of impact did it have or what kind of impact were you hoping it would have? Excellent questions. Um, I was hoping that it would have the impact where we could bring the um, the Articles of Freedom. Oh, and first, let me explain what was in that and why, why I thought it would be effective. 
So we spent about 10 days in St. Charles, Illinois, where every state had one vote. Every state had up to three delegates. We broke down into different committees to present the different articles. So there's, there's 15 different articles within this document. Like you said, it's 63 pages long, so there's a lot in there. And what each subcommittee, let's say, for example, the subcommittee on sovereignty would propose the article to the entire Continental Congress. So we had 107, 108 different delegates and each state had a vote on, we're going to include this language, we're gonna reject this language. And so that's how we put the document together. And it's broken down into three different parts. So each article has a documentation of the facts, which is a documentation of the violations of the constitution. Uh, the second part, you have instructions to the government, specific instructions to members of Congress, to state representatives, sometimes to the Supreme Court, sometimes to the president, the constitutional solution to the grievance, such as you know the open borders, the violations of your privacy and the Patriot Act, such as the money system and the, and the unconstitutional debt that we have. Like the constitutional answers to those are within the document. And then we also included, um, I'm sorry, recommendations to the people on civic actions that the people can take because we figured, well, just like Congress ignored our petitions, they're going to ignore this document as well. So um, I think the, the bulk of the win was getting the document itself made and, and completing it. Um, it didn't, it didn't, Maybe, maybe the timing just wasn't right. I'm not sure why um, we weren't able to get the document in front of the, the American people in a way that they really like took to it because at that time was the, the Tea Party movement was like was like boiling up and people were active and engaged. And um, I was really hoping that that they would mesh together, but I'm not sure why the timing uh, just didn't didn't come together. Friends, I know it's hard not to feel doom and gloom right now with all the negativity in the world. It seems no matter what we do or how bizarre clown world gets, the crazies at the bottom and psychos at the top keep gaining ground. It's hard not to feel demoralized, but I'm here to break you out of that black-pilled line of thinking. There is hope, and I'm here to give it to you. One of the best ways you can insulate yourself against the lunacy of the world is to find your people and link arms with them. That's what Liberty Alliance Network is all about. We know the status quo is unsustainable, so we need to take measures now to prepare ourselves for whatever is coming. And I've found the absolute best people to know in times such as these are all in Tom's school of life. Tom Woods is a New York Times bestselling author, libertarian podcaster with over 2,000 episodes, and father of five. Tom's School of Life offers practical liberty solutions for the problems that keep us up at night. These are action takers and doers who refuse to live and raise a family in clown world. Members are learning and collaborating with each other on projects big and small. Things like food co-ops, self-publishing books, side hustles, and just overall support and encouragement. Expert guests each month give webinars on the essential skills you're going to need to survive and thrive in this brave new world. So if you've been looking for your people, 
liberty-minded problem solvers and fighters, they're in Tom's school of life. Join us at libertyalliancenetwork.com forward slash T-S-O-L for Tom's school of life. That's libertyalliancenetwork.com slash T-S-O-L. See you in there. Right. And then the tea, par- the t- tea party was effective. And then I, I know they talk about it getting co-opted and everything. Uh-huh. And then and then we can laugh. I mean, I was never officially part of it because it was more of a Ron Paul libertarian at the time. And the tea party was mostly your conservative boomers. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. Right. And uh, now we can kind of laugh in their face because they were all about Mitt Romney at the time, too. And it was <laughs> I tried to tell them I tried to tell them Mitt Romney ain't it. And then, you know, they're about eight years behind the rest of us. So God bless them. I I, I appreciate that they're out there trying to get get it done. But they uh, they're uh, a little bit behind the curve, I think. But, but that, that's a good point. You said they're about eight years behind us, maybe like on on waking up to the corruption and, and whatnot. Right. And I think that's really accurate. Um, the, the timing of people waking up is, you know, maybe, maybe sometimes it might be frustrating that enough people aren't, aren't waking up, but we gotta, we gotta, we gotta remember that, you know, like earlier, you, I forget what you asked me to start this interview, but I was talking about like patience in our movement and patience in, um, our movement. I think, I think maybe. What, what I'm just thinking here is we just got to not give up. We got to have patience and we got to continue to plant the seeds of liberty. Ron Paul used to say this, you know, freedom is the thing that brings people together. Um, politics divides us. Uh, so many different things divide us, but freedom is what brings us together. So, yeah. So, so you did the Continental Congress. That was 2009. Then did you take a little break for a while or did you get right back in, in the swing of things? Um you know, was there anything between that and 2020 or were you kind of just living life and what have you? Okay. So here's, here's where the plot thickens. And I, and I got to <laughs> ask you, are uh-huh. you familiar with the act of 1871? And no, no. Okay. No. So this might be, I guess, new information to your audience then. So mm-hmm. during the continental Congress, we were doing the work of putting that document together, the articles of, of freedom. And I was working on a couple different subcommittees. I was focused on the on the money and the sound money and the sovereignty, uh, which means international organizations like the World Health Organization and the United Nations, et cetera, do not have sovereignty over America, that um, the states can resist that and the American government should resist that, too. But. Oh, man. All right. So. You, you've heard of the, the phrase on the matrix, the rabbit hole, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the rabbit hole was introduced to members of the continental Congress, basically like in the hallways, kind of like behind the scenes. And one of the delegates introduced uh, some information to us about the act of 1871 and this idea that the United States Republic form of government was essentially set aside during the Civil War. And during the period of Reconstruction in 1865 through 1870, early 1870s, that uh, a, a corporation was created called the United States. And so this corporation has been operating under the color of law, like appearing as our government, but in fact, it is not the original republic 
form of government that the Constitution created. This is court of, uh, some people might call it a corporate democracy, and I think that might might be an accurate way to to describe it. And so he brings this information, which is like mind blowing, on top of the already mind blowing experience of writing the Articles of Freedom, and and so we. Um, the other delegate started a subcommittee and we started to put together some language saying that the 14th Amendment is connected to this corporate democracy and that one of the reasons why our petitions never get answered or why people don't ever get stuff done in court because they get thrown out of court for having lack of standing is because we don't have standing in this corporation and we need to bring, bring back our republic form of government and all right. So what, what questions do you got? Because I know this sounds kind of crazy. Coming <laughs> well, out of my I've, heard, I've actually heard of the, the notion that, um, you know, I guess that we are a corporation kind of, um, I, I, although I don't think I tied it to this, the Articles of 1870. Is that what is it called? Um, it's an act of 1871 act of 1871. I'll have all this in the show notes for anybody who wants to continue down the rabbit rabbit hole. So Liberty Alliance network.com. Um, what can we slash? What can we do? And all this will be in the show notes page. So if anybody wants to continue on, um, diving into all this, we can, we can look into it. Um, but yeah, so so you're saying it sounds like what you're saying is that the reason we can't get any response from the government and that they aren't responsive to us, um, which it's supposed to be consent of the governed, and it sounds like there's not a lot of consent going on. But they actually they don't give a shit. So and it sounds like they don't have to. Is this is this conspiracy theory? It almost sounds like this is like a totally. conspiracy theory. Yeah, yeah. Or you could this, totally classify this as as conspiracy theory, or like or like a QAnon thing, or is this like a real like is this for real? I, I think it's, I think it's pretty legit. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I, at the, at the Continental Congress, this was so legit that a lot of us actually walked out in protest of not including language um, about this incorporation of, of our government in the Articles of Freedom. Um, but interestingly, uh, another group held another Continental Congress in 2010 to do more things about it. But this is like going really, really far down the rabbit hole. Right. So, well, so so it sounds like, well, you know, so now we're going to fast forward a little bit because then obviously 2020 hits. So you're you're not a spring chicken. You've been involved. You've kind of been involved in both electoral politics and kind of also, um, you know, civil, I would say, engagement, maybe it would be a way of terming it. Um, COVID happens. And what was your response initially? I have to admit, my initial response was I I thought it was a legit virus and that we were, you know, we should be taking precautions, right? Mm-hmm. And so the first week when it was going down, uh, I hate to admit this, but I have to be honest. Yeah. I was like, you know, looking at the masks and I was washing my hands more often than I definitely needed to be. And, um, but it didn't take me long to realize, um, wait a minute, something's fishy here. And how There's long a- was that? Was it weeks? Was it months? Like about what, what time? What it was, time it was about a week. Oh, that's not long. I mean, you know, you could be forgiven for one week. Some people, it took them like <laughs> a whole year before they finally was like, okay, this something's not right. So one week, that's fine. You're forgiven. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. You know what? It was, it was, it's kind of a traumatic, um, 
situation, to be honest. Um, because uh, not 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 only is the idea of like a worldwide you know sickness that's going to infect people traumatic on the psyche, but when I realized, wait a minute, there's a there's a conspiracy here behind this COVID nineteen to um, you know, lock people down and violate our rights and, and indoctrinate us and get us used to uh, giving up our, our rights and freedoms so that, um, you know, the future would unfold. Like who, where, where we're sitting at right now, we're looking at like AI taking over and government being so corrupt and like not responsive. And, you know, J6 happened and so many things are bad with our society. Did any of us think about this in 2020 when, they said, all right, for just 15 days to slow the spread. Everybody just stop working, stop what you're doing. Let's pause society so that this virus can just go away. And then we all come back to normal. Um, so, so surreal now looking back. Um, you asked the question though, you yes. know, how so, long, so how when long you did got, when you kind of woke up that, that whole week that you were <laughs> after that one week, uh, but at what point was this the genesis of your starting the part-time Patriot project or had that already been something that you were doing? Cause you, you yeah. took action, you started taking action um, and, you know, fighting back and everything. So I want you to start, I want you to tell me about a little bit of that. Okay, sure. So when I realized that there's a government conspiracy behind this COVID-19 to take away, take away our rights, I knew from my training from Ron Paul and the campaign, uh, his campaign and everything that I learned at the Continental Congress, I knew that the best way for uh, the people to resist this is by having an informed and activated uh, group of people. So I went to the, the first place I thought about going was to my commissioner's meeting and speaking out under public comments at the at the county meeting. I think that when when it comes to standing up for our rights and also when it comes to resisting tyranny and and speaking out against tyranny, the county commissioner meeting under public comments is totally the place to start. So I went there and sure enough, there was a dozen other people there, at least a dozen other people there as well, speaking out against the county was implementing their, I think they called it an emergency order. And so I spoke out against it. Alfie Oaks was there and spoke out against it. I learned about his great store at Seed to Table being the the only store in town that stayed open during, during the nonsense. And so... Uh, one thing led to another, which was basically a small group of people speaking out in must have been March or April of 2020. And then we went to seed to table and, you know, grabbed grabbed a few drinks and started talking about what's going on here. Why is our county uh, going along with these lockdown measures? And um, so so what we did was we, we just started meeting on a regular basis there at seed to table to talk about it. So one week we'd have 10 people. The next week we'd have 20 people week after that we realized all right we need a new venue and we need to get a little bit more organized and official with with what we're doing and so um the that's how the movement started to grow by us just literally just exercising our first amendment by yeah. speaking out at meetings and assembling so when you were having these meetings like what uh 
what were the courses of action proposed and how did you decide, you know, what actions to take? And, you know, tell me a little bit about like what went on at these meetings. Yeah, absolutely. So at first it was kind of just, um, I said, I, I guess I kind of like led with the plan. I said, look, we need to um, show up to local government meetings. Uh, we need to email our commissioners. We need to make phone calls to our commissioners. We just need to essentially lean on them and put pressure on them to um, do away with the, the mask mandate. So it was, I guess it didn't need to be discussed. We all knew that our first, I guess, order of business was to stop this mask mandate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because go- I remember D- Governor DeSantis started doing the phased out of the state of emergency. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I can't remember all the details, but it seemed like, you know, at, at first we went out, we, we stopped the total lockdown and then half the restaurants could open up and they could open up to a certain capacity. Um, but then the, the mask mandate, the mask obsession came about. Um, and so that was our first, first thing that we, we worked to stop. Was t- tackling all the mass mandates and everything. Yeah. How did yeah. you how did you grow your group? I think obviously, I mean, because you had a big, well, initially seed to table, and then it kind of evolved. And I think I eventually saw you on Facebook. But did you do anything to grow your group besides maybe just word of mouth, or or what were some yes. of those steps? And tell me about that. Yeah. So we put on a huge rally. We called it the Freedom Rally, and Alfie Oaks uh, let us put that on at his farm. And so we set up a stage and had about 15 different speakers talking about a host of different things. Um, we had some people talking about politics. And so we had some local candidates there. We had some people talking about history and teaching us about socialism and communism and totalitarianism. Uh, we had some people there talking about health freedom and, um, you know, taking care of your body and, and, being being able to uh, fight back against the system, I guess, if you will, by by just being healthy, by being sovereign. And so we used this big freedom rally that that Alfie was a huge part in pulling off mm-hmm. and we're able to educate, you know, a good five or six hundred people about local candidates, about the Constitution, about history, about, you know, COVID and the, and the deception that's going on. And so from there, it it. Uh, spread into a lot of different people who are now aware of and willing to get involved. So more people started showing up to like school board meetings, more people just organically started showing up to the county commissioner meetings. And from that point, we started to organize um, a lot more focused at, uh, at Alfie's other store, our, uh, food, what's it called food and thought. So food and thought we were in, the courtyard there and we just started meeting to continue our work. I feel like I I don't think I realized that food and thought was one of Alfie's properties too. Cause I think I remember you posting on it, you know, Hey, we're going to be meeting at food and thought, but I don't think I ever made a connection that that was one of his places of business as well. So I, um, I actually, so I used to live in Fort Myers and I was there and I moved uh, in October of 2020. So I was there for like the very start of the pandemic. And I'm a little sad and disappointed to say I only discovered Alfie's seed to seed to table just like a month or two, a couple months before I left. And I'm so just dis- because I was like, 
this is like Disney World for adults. It's like amazing. It's I mean, like I if I lived like that's why I said you need to get him to get a store up here because I would live there. I'd be there every day. We'd be doing meet meetups and everything. But it would go gangbusters up here. It's, so so I know for those who are, who are watching, they don't have a frame of reference. It's like it's like a like a Whole Foods or a Sprouts, but it's like it's an experience. So you have like sushi bars and uh, beer local breweries and you've got like, you know, a food court and they you can have uh, events and they've had speakers there. I think like Dinesh D'Souza was there. They host like debates there. So it's not just a grocery store. It's like an experience and it's a meeting place and a gathering place and a social activity. And uh, I loved it. And I wish. Uh, yeah. So if you could put a bug in his ear to build a store up here that'd be great <laughs> yeah no no i'll i'll pass that along and I, i'm so grateful for seed to table as as well uh during uh-huh. that summer of 2020 it was it was the thing that really kept our community going yeah know, because we had a place to go to well and and alfie took a lot of flack too was that was was his speaking out was that did that result in, or was this something separate? Because I know that the the uh, the schools canceled their contract with him. Was that as a result of this, or was that something else? That was something else. Okay. He he spoke out against uh, BLM movement uh, and yeah. George Floyd. Uh huh. Okay. There was a significant backlash. Actually, I shouldn't say significant. Um, there was a small protest mm-hmm. uh, against him. But then the school, I think it was the Lee County School Board, Mm -hmm. canceled their contract with him um, over these politics, basically. Right. And I think he sued him. And I don't I don't think I knew the outcome of it. Do you do you know how that? I I, I don't know. Yeah, I I do. I do have another um, interesting aspect of um, the backlash, I guess, that Alfie took for taking a stand. Yeah, uh, because he he put a sign on the front of the seat to table. Yes, said, I remember that sign. It was something awesome. Along, something along the lines of, we're not going to ask you about your medical condition. Uh-huh, um, right. Basically basically saying, you don't have to wear a mask in here, and we're not going to bother you about it. It's a HIPAA violation. Um, we can't ask you if you have a medical condition that prevents you from wearing a mask. Wink, wink. It's a, it's a HIPAA violation. It's a violation of my First Amendment. It's a violation of my Fourth Amendment. It's a violation of my Ninth Amendment. Right. It's, unconstitutional and immoral on so many different levels. Right. Yeah. And yeah, no, it was, it was great. So, um, so then eventually, so, you know, in, in all of this, you know, the whole COVID thing, it didn't just, it, it kind of ripped the bandaid off of like so many different issues because there was COVID, but then like, as you just mentioned, it coincided with the BLM movement. And then all of a sudden we're starting to see what's actually going on in our schools. And then it, and then it, you know, uh, cl- cl- uh clashed with, this whole gender nonsense and CRT and trans y'all. And so it's all just kind of like this big ball that all of a sudden, you know, like this, what do they call it? The can of worms. And you look in there and I was like, wow, that's a big can of worms. And, and I don't think so many people, they didn't realize all that was. So, you know, even though you guys started off probably in the COVID side of things, um, it probably morphed as well. Did you have like various people that were more concerned about, the schools or the COVID or the BLM? And then how did you manage that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when we were meeting at the Food and Thought Courtyard, um, word of mouth started to spread that, hey, there's a group of patriots talking about stopping the mask mandate at Food and Thought. So it organically grew week after week. And we got to a point where 
we had probably 30, 40, 50 people consistently coming every week. And when we got to that number of people, um, yeah, we totally had to open it up to discussion. Uh, we basically had a almost like an open mic at some point on the stage and said, look, whoever wants to come up here and bring an issue to our, our group here, do so. And so our, our meetings served as a way for citizens to come and learn from me, from learn from the others in, in the group who are presenting, but also to get involved and make their suggestions. And so we kind of went in, uh, we started going in like four different directions. And so we had one group that was totally focused on the COVID tyranny, the mask mandates, the jab, uh, the, the AI stuff, all of it. So we had one group that kind of like split off and went and focused on that. We had a group that was focused on just like the politics that wanted to join the Republican executive committee to who wanted to work on campaigns and work the election angle. And then we had a group who was solely focused seemingly on um, the elections and returning to paper ballots and getting rid of the machines and just really educating people that now that I'm reflecting on this, everybody's, um, I think everybody's same goal was to educate the public on all of these different issues to raise people's awareness of it and to get more people involved to, to do something about it. Cause when it's just a small handful of us, you know, we, we could go to, you know, the town hall and raise our fists and, and, protest or petition or speak out. But if we don't have a large number, we're not going to really affect much change. So, yeah, right. Um, so then speaking of getting people involved, you know, well, you're obviously a younger person, but you know, like even, and I'm, I'm in a, an outlier and cause I'm up by the villages and the villages is a retirement city. So, I'm outnumbered. <laughs> so everything here is dominated by, you know, senior citizens, boomers, et cetera. Um, and then down there where you are, so I was in Lee County. Lee County um, is adjacent to Collier County. So that's Fort Myers and Naples, basically. Those would be the cities people would be familiar with. Um, and even though they were adjacent, they took two different approaches. And it was really interesting because I remember um, – Ian Miller was doing, he did all those uh, awesome charts about charting, like, you know, like who's doing the mandates and who isn't, and here's how mu much of a difference it's not making. So I remember he had two, two uh, charts. One was Lee County, one was Naples, because Naples um, is a little bit more affluent. They're, they're, I would say, light blue. They're not a deep blue city, but they are light blue. Um, and whereas Lee County is a bit more red. Um, and so they did take a, a few more restrictive COVID measures with the mask mandate. They had a countywide mask mandate at one point. They pulled some shenanigans, some dirty tactics about how they got it implemented and everything. Um, but then when Ian Miller did a side-by-side -side comparison, actually Collier County was doing a little bit worse off than Lee County was, despite all the measures that they were taking. So... Um, what were your tactics and strategies? Because they did pull some dirty, underhanded stuff. Did you have a strategy? Did you have tactics? Was it just show up to meetings and talk? Or was there a phone tree? Or was there protests? Or what was your strategy? Yeah. So in, in the beginning, our strategy was to get as many people there as possible to speak, to like, you know, kind of like show our numbers and try to... Um, talk them into re rescinding the mask mandate. That's 
that's what they that's what we were asking them to do. So they had a mask mandate in place in Collier County. Uh, granted, I printed the thing up when they did pass it, and I poured through it and found like four or five different loopholes. So I was also kind of like on the side trying to educate people. Look, this is the mask mandate that passed, but if you read it. You don't have to wear a mask if people are adequately spaced. You don't have to wear a mask if you have a health condition. You don't have to wear a mask if it violates your religion. I can't remember the specifics, but there were multiple um, loopholes within the county's mask mandate itself. So I, I felt it was important to educate people on how to, you know, how, how to live your life by, without wearing a mask and without being uh, forced to wear a mask because you think it's the law. I think a lot of people complied out of ignorance. Um, and I know you asked about strategy. Um, so the reason I think I'm bringing up education is because that's really the first part in the strategy. Um, you know, maybe the first part was we, we just showed up in mass and spoke out, but I shortly after that realized, all right, we need to be um, more educated on what, what we're talking about here, which is their mask mandate. We need to be more educated on um, our own rights and how we stand up and, and assert them. But as to as to strategy, um, there were, at the time, there were four county commissioners who uh, voted for the mask mandate. I believe there was four, maybe three, but there was definitely a majority who voted for the mask mandate, who voted for the lockdowns. And so we tried to use the political pressure of lots of public comments, coordinated phone calls. We had a couple protests um, within the district of the county commissioner whose vote we were trying to, to get just to try to put a little bit extra pressure on him, but it, but it wasn't working. So um, the strategy was to over, overwhelm them and force them to, to vote to rescind it. But I, I then realized that that's not going to happen with these three uh members of the county commission and it, it is actually kind of funny alfie made another sign or maybe this is on the original sign with those three commissioners who voted for the mask mandate and he put like a little like socialist cap on their on their heads and put a um put like a poster at seed to table so everybody who walked into seed to table saw their face and saw their name as being pro mask county commissioners so that was another part of the strategy, actually, of, you know, putting putting the public pressure on them, publicly shaming them yeah. for their pro-tyranny stance. Right. So, we're, you know, we we're trying to put the pressure on those three to change their vote. But after realizing that they didn't care if we brought 100 people to the meeting, they didn't care if we had 300 people on the street corner protesting, they were set on voting for the mask mandate. And so then we realized, all right, we got to change our tactics and get it and vote them out and um, educate people on noncompliance. Yeah. Um, I think, and I was kind of in, uh, you know, cause I, by then had moved and I was working with Sabelle Edmonds, who was living in Naples at the time with her group, FUAMI, Florida Unites Against Mandated Insanity. At one point yeah. we considered even um, getting billboards and putting the faces of these tyrants uh, on some billboards to kind of, again, up the, the public pressure against like, you know, like name and shame, baby, name and shame. You want to stand, stand behind this. You want to take away our rights. People are going to know about it. Um, yeah. So then 
in terms of getting people involved, um, what do you think, you know, and, and, and going back, I kind of touched on this before and I wanted to ask about, um, especially the young people. Again, you're younger and I even know, I know you have a daughter or a family, but it's hard to get, you know, and we're not young, young, but we are family of family age, you know, and so it does get harder. How do you get people active and engaged and involved? And how do you, especially the younger generation, because the older is they're retirees, you know, the boomers, they're retirees. They've got time to, de- to dedicate to this um, and money. Um, and we don't, you know, we've got school things and after school activities and family and this and that. So do you have any advice or thoughts on how we get more people active and engaged and why you think maybe they aren't as active and as engaged as we think they should be? That's a really difficult question for me to answer, uh, partly because I, you know, I woke up to a lot of this tyranny like 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so in a way I'm in um, my own bubble. Um, and so I'm not sure that I have the answer as to why, uh, more, you know, more younger people aren't, aren't getting involved. I suppose it might actually have, you know, maybe it has something to do with these mm-hmm. and the TV screen and sports as being a distraction. And maybe it has, for, for whatever circuses. reason, for what, yeah, for what, uh, the bread and circuses. Yeah. For whatever reason, our attention, maybe I shouldn't say our, but a lot of people's attention is just not focused on, um, you know, I guess I don't even want to say politics because politics is nasty and politics is part of the problem. It just, it just seems odd to me that like, okay, I think before 2020, you could probably rightfully plead ignorance. Like you just didn't know that a lot of this stuff was happening. I think since then, I don't think you've got an excuse. I don't think the people have an excuse. You've seen how awful this is and how the links that they're willing to go and that they aren't backing down. And, you know, that's what they say that one of those mantras, I think, uh, is Vox Day that says, well, his famous, he used the term SJWs. I think it applies to more than just SJWs these days, but uh, social justice warriors, for those who aren't familiar. But they says that SJWs always lie, they always project, and they always double down. So, you know, even though, despite the fact that we're probably more engaged and active and vocal than probably our team, our, the right, the conservative, the libertarian movement has probably ever been and organized, it, it doesn't, re- I won't say it doesn't result, but, you know, you they're just doubling down. <laughs> they're not like, oh, okay, maybe we need to change course or rethink this. Maybe, you know, the whole gender right. stuff, we, you know, the, the two, there are more than two genders. Maybe we shouldn't campaign on that and back away. No, they're, <laughs> they're shameless. They just, <laughs> they just keep at it. Um, you know, and so I just, I, I don't know. You talk about us being the silent majority. That's what they say. Conservatives are the silent majority. How do we get them to be unsilent? And, you know, would it even matter? Because as you saw, despite putting a massive amount of public pressure on your counselors, they they were didn't they couldn't care less. It didn't didn't matter to them whatsoever. Well, one thing we got to keep in mind is uh, to play the long game. You know, those commissioners who ignored our petitions and ignored our public comments and ignored our phone calls and didn't care about the um you know, the public pressure onto them. They didn't care about what the constitution actually says. They didn't, they don't care about the rights. Um, we had to deal with them as our commissioners for quite some time. 
And so, uh, you know, maybe we don't want to focus on trying to get huge, larger numbers of people involved when those might they might not be the right people to be involved. Maybe we don't need um, a, a massive movement to get stuff done. One of the founding fathers said something along the lines of, you only need an irate, tireless minority uh, keen on setting brush fires in the minds of men. So we, as you said, you know, if you're not awake by now, after all that's gone on with the lockdowns and the, the, the masking at schools and everything else, if you're not awake by now, um, what's it going to take? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, what is it going to take? That's what I've, that's, and that's what, you know, again, why I've do, why I do this podcast is, I mean, at some point you can't, you know, like I said, as of now, I don't think you can plead ignorance anymore. Although I, 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 maybe you can to an extent, because we are so engaged. It just seems obvious to us. These problems are self-evident. We know exactly about them, but there are people, yeah, if it's not on their phone, if it interrupts, you know, their Sunday football, they, they, these things are not getting into their psyche um so like when they talk about in florida of course the banning books as far as they're concerned well number one we actually they think we actually are banning books or that we actually can't say gay you know because that's what's in the media but when you ask them well what books are being banned and they think oh it might be to kill a mockingbird they don't understand what books they actually are that we are against having in these schools and they are pornographic books that describe in detail to young children how to have like sex and gay sex and things like that. But if you ask the average person, they have no idea. They just hear, oh, Florida's banning books. They just hear, oh, you can't say gay. You know, so I guess yeah. to there is still an, you know, as you say, an educational component because a lot of people actually still don't know what's going on or what they do hear if they hear a headline. Of course, it's skewed by the media. That's what they want you to hear. We're banning books. You can't say gay. And that's the only thing that seeps through. And they don't know any better. You know, you hit it. You hit it spot on. It's it's about informing them, uh, informing people of these things because they don't get this information from, you know, their TV screen. They might not necessarily be um, prone to, you know, to to hearing the information. So I don't know. Yeah. So I know right now um, you are the freedom ambassador um, for Seed to Table. Is that? Tell me what that is. Is that a is that a full time gig? Because that sounds awesome. I want to. <laughs> I want yeah, to tell Alfie to build a store up here, and I'll be his freedom <laughs> ambassador. Okay. There you go. There you go. <laughs> what What is it? Well, what do you do? So you're. So I'm glad. I'm glad uh, that we could tie in what you were just talking about about informing people um, about what's you know what's really going on. So Alfie's the entire time that I've known him, he's used you know, his businesses as a way to promote the message of freedom, to introduce to the community um, different candidates that were running in 2022. Remember that the county commission that we were having problems with? Well, um, through seed to table and holding, uh, you know, political events there on, on, on a regular basis, we were able to get enough people to become aware of these new candidates who are going to replace uh, the old county commissioners. And so we flip, flip that election. So the, the position, I guess, um, has to do with, with that, with um, helping put together events where uh, we inform the public about, about different things. Yeah. Is that a full-time job? Yeah. Oh, wow. 
That sounds cool. <laughs> that sounds cool. So, um, all right, well, we're going to wrap up. Um, I really appreciate your insight and your time and your experience um, from all the things that you've been involved with over the years. Um, the question I like to pose to my guests before they leave the name of the show is what can we do? Cause that's what I'm trying to answer. A lot of people, when I started this podcast, one of the biggest questions I kept seeing was in the midst of 2020 and all this COVID madness. Well, what can we do? So it doesn't, obviously, you know, COVID is more or less in the, in the rear view mirror, but we still have tons, you know, like these really big, seemingly challenges facing us as a society. Um, what do you think we can or should be doing to fight back? What do you, you know, the average Joe, average citizen, what can we do? I think the first thing that your average, every American citizen needs to remember is just to speak. It can start just with the First Amendment. We have the freedom of speech. What's the best way to teach people? Well, you got to speak. Maybe, maybe it's not the best way, but what's one way to teach people is speaking. What's one way to object to tyranny? To speak against it, to inform other people that, hey, guess what, guys? I'm not complying with this mask mandate and neither should you. You know, you could have that conversation with your family, with your coworkers, or with other like-minded patriots who are already uh, not complying. So I would say, yeah, don't be afraid to speak out, use your voice, and also have some courage for non-compliance. Meaning if you know in your gut that something is wrong, uh, primarily if it's something the government is trying to make, make you do, the government's job is not to make you do anything. The government's job is to protect your rights to be free from people who make you do things. So non-compliance and just not going along with um, laws or orders that violate your rights uh, is, a, is a big component in uh, how we the people maintain our freedom and maintain our constitution. So. Yeah. I'll well, going back to the tea, the tea Party, a modern day Tea Party, uh, the old school Tea Party, and then a real Tea Party where there actually is non-compliance, mass non-compliance. So, all right, Dan, um, thank you so much for sharing your insight, your experience, your perspective, uh, your on the ground, uh, situation, war room, uh, type of things for what you actually did in the moment to fight back against COVID. And, um, hopefully people can pull from that and form some ideas of their own and take your experience and use that to help them in the future for whatever it is that they would hopefully like to get started. But um, appreciate your time today, Dan, and uh, look forward to staying in touch with you. Awesome, Haley. Look forward to it again. Thank you. Mm -hmm.